May Christ enter in to the fabric of our lives. This morning I want to invite you to join me in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. We're also going to find our way a little briefly over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. But let's start with this thought. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's no posters or bumper stickers out there for sale that say this, thank God it's Monday. No one ever says, thank God it's Monday. I haven't heard anyone say that. It's Monday. Maybe a bumper sticker that says, it's Monday again. But not thank God it's Monday. And my bet is that the people who entered Jerusalem with Jesus on that first, what we have labeled, Palm Sunday, may have been maybe just a little deflated by Monday. But thank God for that Monday. If you listen closely, there is still the faint sound carried along the breeze of the crowd saying, as we read in verse 9, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's the common understanding that that cry from the people gathered by the roadside was part of the celebration as they're welcoming Jesus in. It's part of the celebration chant of what's known as a Hillel Psalm from Psalm 118, which Pastor Mary read earlier. That's what they would chant. That's what they would say on their way to worship. But it's also the literal meaning of those words that was on the minds, I'm sure, of the people that day, on their hearts and on their minds. And the literal meaning is save us. Save us. Save us. Isn't that an appropriate cry for us today? Save us. Now, to understand what's happening, let's think about the details. Some historians suggest that every year at the start of Passover, at the high and holy feast of the Jews in Jerusalem, there would be another procession into Jerusalem. But this would not be on a donkey, symbolizing humility and peace, But rather, this would be a procession on powerful horses and battle-ready chariots and war-worn soldiers with weapons on display, and this would be a procession with a specific purpose in mind. It would be whoever would be the current reigning governor, the Roman governor of Judea, entering in on the day of Passover, the high holy day, with a specific purpose message to be sent, a message of intimidation, a message that said, the empire is in charge here. We own you. Do not even think of there being another exodus someday. So these people, when they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, they're not only declaring Jesus as king, but they are expecting so much more, perhaps. And as you may know, Their expectation is rooted in a very specific type of Messiah. One that would come with the intention to overtake the empire. 
They are expecting a Messiah, a king, to enter in triumph to take on the filthy Romans and crush the chokehold that's around their city, their temple, and their lives. They are looking for a political king. So I wonder, could it be? Could it have been? We don't know, but could we imagine that as Jesus enters from the east, the current Roman puppet governor, Pilate, is entering in from the west? And could it be that people might have been anticipating a Messiah that finally confronts the powers that be and finally sets things straight? Jesus is coming. He's coming to make all things right. And by that, they imagine a certain outcome. But like victorious leaders of other peoples, Jesus heads to the temple. And this probably even raised the expectation of the people who were, who were declaring praise on the streets. It probably raised their expectation even more to fever pitch. Because you see, the custom of conquering kings was to go into the temple of the conquered city and offer a sacrifice to whatever god the conqueror worshipped, offering thanks, declaring their god as lord, and then they would dominate the people so the, the, the expectation is now, look, he is going to do it. He's going to dominate these Romans. But there's only one problem. Jesus is indeed heading to a confrontation. And yes, he is coming to make all things right. And yes, he is making an offering. But none of this was as they imagined it would be. He enters the temple, he looks around, he surveys things, and in the economy of words that Mark's gospel is famous for, we read these words in verse 11. So when Jesus had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That's kind of a disappointment. <laughs> But then came Monday morning. Then came another triumphal entry. Jesus does not move toward a head-to-head -head battle. He, he does not go to Pilate's headquarters for a head-to-head -head battle. He heads in a different direction. Look what's happening. He's not facing down Roman might. Jesus is going back to the temple. But he's not going there to make some ritual sacrifice of praise. He, he's not making an offering such as conquering kings would do. He is bringing the offering himself. And he is indeed going to face down an enemy. But it's not the enemy that they thought. Beginning with verse 15, another triumphal entry. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. 
And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And may God speak to us through his gospel today. This is an uncomfortable, uncomfortable scene. No, no matter how you view this scene, there's some level of discomfort. I, I mean, some look at the tables turning, the doves flying, the coins clinking off the stone floor, and they view it as a temple tantrum. And, and, we, and to see Jesus in this posture, in this attitude, that's just not the Jesus of the posters of Palm Sunday, is it? We look at this and we even say things like this. We make statements like this. Look, even Jesus got angry. And we say that to justify our unjustifiable anger. It's uncomfortable, Pastor. But there's more to this than that. In fact, there are two invitations here. One to all of us and one for all of us. Every gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everyone has this moment in the temple when Jesus quite literally upsets the apple cart. And many, as they look at this passage, seize on the words of verse 17. My house will be called the house of prayer for all nations, we read there. And what we do is we take that and we pull that out of context and we make it a proof text that says that church sanctuaries should only be places of worship and prayer. And we make the very sanctuary the house of prayer that needs to be protected. That we should never perform commerce, never let commerce be conducted in the sanctuary or in the church. And though I'm not in favor of the church being co-opted for secular or commercial or political purposes... Is that what this is about? Just about whether or not some coins are exchanged in the temple? I mean, think about it. Would that, if that was the reason, would that elicit such a response from the religious leaders who we go on to read in verse 18, began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching? Were they afraid of him because of some coins? I don't think so. Do you see what Jesus is doing? We become so familiar with these, these accounts of Holy Week that I sometimes wonder, do we see what Jesus is doing? Look closely. The world for these religious leaders was viewed through a binary lens. We have watched that unfold in the Gospel of Mark leading up to this week in different ways. You see, for them, it's a, it's a dualistic way of looking at others. It's us versus them, insider, outsider. The clean, the unclean, the acceptable, the non-acceptable. The wanted, the unwanted. It's the world of these religious leaders. And Jesus walks in and he upsets all of that because do you see where Jesus is standing? He's standing at the entrance to the temple. He's, a, he's at the beginning stages of the temple court. He's standing at the part of the temple that's known as the court of the Gentiles. 
You see, it was the one place in the entire temple complex that allowed those who longed for God but were not considered part of the chosen people of God to find God. And it's the one place in the temple complex, really, that pointed to God's desire for all people to know him. Here is the very place God was trying to communicate access for all to him. But that has now been blocked by the activities of the money changers and the vendors. It has been blocked by the activities of the few that were intended to help the insiders worship the way they wanted with no concern for those who were the outsiders. But Jesus walks into the temple. He upsets that whole system and he reaches back into their scriptures in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 56, verse 7, and in Jeremiah 7, 11, where it speaks about injustices, where it speaks about the welcome of all. Look at the context of the Isaiah passage in Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. We read, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You see, at the heart of it, what Jesus is is reacting to, what Jesus is angry about, what Jesus is objecting to, is he's objecting to the roadblocks that the most religious folks in the crowd put in place to hinder the least desired and the least accepted people from seeking God. The selling of the objects for worship was not the issue. As we'll see, it was actually some of that that was intended for good. But it was that they were placed in the court of the Gentiles, hindering and blocking their access to worship God, to find God. But Jesus in this reveals God's heart. And Jesus is really prophetically pointing to God's intention for salvation as we see expressed in the book of Revelation. There we see in Revelation 7-9 these words, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, every nation from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Palm Sunday prophetically points to that. As has been said by many, many in many different ways, the gospel is the good news for all, or it is not the good news for any. And so, do I now hear this invitation from God to me. 
to me, to us, to those of us who have access to God in Christ. You see, the invitation is this. Let us make a way for others. In this season of examination that we call Lent, perhaps questions like these emerge out of this passage for me to ask, for you to ask, for us to ask. Is there something in my life that is blocking others from seeking God? Is my attitude hindering others from seeing Jesus? Is my social media presence hurting the witness of the gospel? This question I heard this week, are my politics aligned with Jesus or am I trying to align Jesus with my politics, excluding others? Is there an unspoken or maybe a spoken critical spirit that creates barriers? And what does it mean for me to get out of God's way in the lives of others? Especially those who are not like me, who don't look like me, who don't sound like me, who don't vote like me. What does that mean for me? What is this passage saying to me? See, that's the first invitation. Let's make a way to God for others. C.S. Lewis captures the essence of this in mere Christianity when he writes, fine feelings, new insights, greater interest in religion mean nothing unless they make our actual behavior better. When we Christians behave badly, he writes, or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. So I find myself asking this question as I reflect on this. Is there any area of my life that is getting in the way of others finding their way to God? Is there anything in my life that's hindering others? Hard question. But that's the invitation, the first invitation. That's the invitation to me. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is inviting you to that as well. But then look closely, there is another invitation for us, not only to us, but now for us, there's an invitation. Doves are flying everywhere. Just imagine the temple scene. Doves everywhere. It it must have been wild, right? Coins flying, uh, tables going, um, probably some sheep running around, but then there's those doves flying everywhere now. Let loose from their cages, probably. But you see, the doves were actually an act of compassion and provision for the poor because they could probably only afford a dove. But the doves now became a source. Let's just call it a source of revenue for the temple leaders and for the money changers who are now taking advantage of the poor. And then we also read in Matthew's account of this this disruptive morning. We read these words in verse 14. In the midst of all of this, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. 
But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things Jesus did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. I mean, in the midst of all of this, Jesus is now in the temple and and people have been healed. and, And do you hear the loudest voices shouting Hosanna? It's not the adults, it's the children. And a little child shall lead them. It's the children shouting. The doves are flying. The lame are there. Who were the poor? You see, they were considered not good enough. Who were the blind and the lame? They were considered not clean enough, not well enough. Who were the children? Why are these religious leaders indignant about this? Because the children were considered not important enough, not powerful enough. None of these people delivered any benefit. They were the vulnerable, the weak, and the powerless. That alone is a message for us to consider how we are to the vulnerable, the weak, and the powerless. But in turning the tables over and healing the blind and lame and in welcoming the children, Jesus is changing things up and what he's showing to them is that everybody's good enough. God's arms are open wide. Jesus is pointing to a new place to find God. Jesus is pointing to himself. He is the all-access God. In John chapter 1, verse 4, the Passion Translation captures this. When it calls Jesus, describes Jesus this way, a fountain of life was in him, for his life is light for all humanity. Jesus is showing everyone that gospel, that the gospel is good news for everyone. This King Jesus is throwing open wide accessibility to God for all who will follow him. And that's what the invitation to you and me, for you and me, is today. For all of us. Jesus is looking at us and he's looking at the world. And he's making a way for us. Jesus makes a way, even for us, Jesus makes accessibility to God's mercy and his grace, his love and his holiness, his salvation and his lordship, his transforming life. He makes that available to everyone. This is how Jess Midnorf puts it this morning in Sacred Invitations. Now the meeting place of God is Jesus. Access to God is no longer mediated through priests and sacrifices with God hidden behind some thick curtain in the temple. Jesus now becomes the dwelling place of God. And here's the amazing thing now. Jesus wants to set up the temple in your life, in my life, in our hearts. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians, we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. 
You see, Jesus Christ wants to make a triumphal entry into your life and mine. He wants to transform our lives. He wants to shine through our lives. As Tara Beth Leach writes, we display then a better way of living, a fresh way of living, a stunning way of living, and a radiant way of living to a weary and broken world. Why? Because of this invitation for us to the open arms of God's grace. Because we belong to the King, Jesus. Can you, can you hear this invitation to grace from Jesus to your life, to my life? John 1.4 again, a fountain of life was in him for his life is light for all humanity. His life, his very life is light for all of us, for you, for me. You say your life is not religious enough. You say you're not good enough. You say and you shrink at the thought that God will not welcome you enough. Well, my friends, Jesus is turning over the table and clearing a way for you and for me. And that's the second invitation here, you see. Jesus makes a way for us. And when Jesus makes that way, when we, when we turn to the way of Jesus, we then can help make a way for others. So it's Palm Sunday. And Jesus is riding in. He is riding into your heart and mind. Let us join the shout. Hosanna, save us. Hosanna, save us. And then let us invite him to do just that. Where is it that you need Jesus to save you? today. Let us pray. Lord, we just want to thank you today for the gift of these invitations to us. That you are the way-making God. And Lord, when you entered in on that first Palm Sunday, when you launched that holy week, when you came back the next day, you just began to clear the way because you're the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to you but through you, but you're the way. You made a way for us to give our lives to you. And that when we give our lives away to you, We will find that life. And then we'll give your life away to others. So thank you for making the way for us and inviting us to be part of your making a way for others. 
Now, Lord, bring us into this holy week, we pray. Speak to our hearts in new ways. Form and shape us. Prepare our hearts to sit with you in a last supper, to imagine ourselves at the foot of the cross, to walk prayerfully toward that empty tomb. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for entering in and making a way to the all-access God. In Jesus' name, amen. May you walk today in the peace that is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who enters into our lives and world even now.